Welcome to the Loft Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message and that it ignites in you a hunger for more of God's presence in your life. All right, so tonight, here's my intention. Let me find my Bible. My intention tonight is um, I'm going to uh, give you some biblical truths, some common sense thinking and some practical wisdom um, on tithing because it's such, it's such a misunderstood subject to some, not to all, but to some. And uh, I can't tell you what to believe, but I want to give you enough information, enough biblical truth so that you can decide what you believe. I think that's what a teacher does, a preacher does, right? I'm not going to tell you what to believe. I'm going to lay out a, an argument as, 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 you know, so to speak, an argument. I'm going to lay out the scripture, and I'm going to lay out some common sense, and you're going to come to a conclusion, hopefully tonight, about what you think about tithing. Um, let's see. Uh, tithing is, uh, if, uh, let's see, to give you enough, if uh, tithing is, what I want to figure out is, is tithing for us under grace, or was tithing just for the Old Testament Jews? So that's what we want to figure out through the scripture. So open your Bibles. It's a very popular scripture, right? Open the Bibles to Malachi 3. We'll start here, and then we'll, we'll go many different places. And so in Malachi 3, 6, it says, I'm reading out of NIV, I, the Lord, do not change. Or in another translation, it says, I am the Lord, and I change not. God never changes. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your fathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. And so God has always been, uh, through all of history, right, all the Old Testament, God has to keep calling people to repentance. Repent, repent, come back, repent. And and he's saying it again, return to me, repent to me, and I'll return to you. I'll come back to you, says the Lord. But you ask, you know, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Because of this, you are under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me, test me in this. I don't think God says test him in another place in the scripture. I could be wrong, but he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will also prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast off their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord God Almighty. So let's, let's go verse, verse by verse and continue. So uh, I've already said in six, um, you know, I'm the Lord, I change not. That'll be very important going forward as we speak. Verse seven, I said, God is calling people to repentance. He's saying, turn back to me. Uh, How are they robbing God? They're robbing God in tithes and offerings. Now, back then, uh, the tithe and the offering were were crops, were olive oil, um, were wine, and there were storehouses in the temple. And so they were required to bring a tenth, a tenth 
one-tenth of their crops into these storehouses so that in these storehouses it would provide for the priests and it would provide for those people in need and the orphans and the widows and people that had needs. So God was saying, this is my economy. Just give me one-tenth. You can keep 90% of everything you grow, of everything you have. Just give me one-tenth of that. That's all I need from you so we can collect it into that house of God in the storehouse, and then we can take care of our priests. They don't have to worry about their life. They can do the business of God, and we can take care of the needs of the people. So that's, that's what a tenth is. That's what a tithe is. It's a tenth. The first fruits, listen. God wants the first fruits. God wants the best. He doesn't want the scraps. Now, if we translate it into, into modern times, we're talking about finances and money here. God says, listen, I'm asking you, I'm requiring of you, give me one-tenth of your finance to go into the storehouse, which would be the church in our time. Give it into the storehouse so that the church has all it needs to take care of its, its pastors and its leaders and all of that and has plenty left over so it could take care of the missionaries and the people that need the orphans, the widow, the poor, those who, who, who need assistance. This is what I'm, if you do what I ask you to do, the storehouses will be full, the, 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 the bank account will be full, and we'll be able to take care of all of this. Here's the problem for a lot of us, for a lot of us is we're so, we, we are so much in consumer debt that when we get our paychecks, at the end of paying for all the stuff that we may have and all the bills that we may have, we give God the scraps, like a dog, from the table. And he says, listen to me, if you would bring the tithe, to the Old Testament it was, if you bring the tithe into the storehouse, he, what does he say? He says, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. Do you know what he's saying? I'm going to translate that for you. He's saying, bring your tithe into the storehouse. I dare you. I dare you to trust me. Do it. I dare you. Test me. Then he says this. He says, I dare you to test me. I'm asking you to test me. I want you to test me. Bring it in, he says, and then uh, there may be food and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll have no room enough, you won't have room enough for it. Back in the Old Testament, it was, there was famine, there was a curse on their crops because they disobeyed the Lord and they didn't do what was required of them, and so there was a curse upon their crops. That hurt. And, and then he said, and then he said, but if you do this, then I'm going to bring the flood. I'm going to bring the rain. I'm going to bring the wind. I'm going to bring the sun. I'm going to, I'm going to bring beautiful soil, and you're going to have such a great crop. You're going to have so much because of my blessing that you'll have all that you need and so much more that you'll be able to give not only the tithe, but in abundance. You won't have room for it. You'll be able to give abundance away. And then he says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines on your fields will not cast their fruits. So not only is he going to bless the weather, the soil, the crops, the growth, but he's going to hold back the pests from devouring the, 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 the uh, crops so that they will be vibrant. They'll be protected. He will protect 
the crops if you tithe. Now, for us, for us, that might look like this. And I'm going to teach now, and I'm going to preach at the end, uh, tell you a couple of stories. But for us, that would be that we would have enough finance at the end of the month to be able to have everything taken care of, to give God his tithe, and have abundance so that we can give to people in need. That's what that would look like in modern times. Not only that, God can preserve our possessions. Does that make sense? God can preserve our possessions. Real quickly, I've had cars, you know, my Santa Fe went 230,000 miles. It never needed one repair. I am not exaggerating. If I was exaggerating, God kill me now. Not one repair, 230,000 miles, and then it died. We just put oil in it. We put gas in it. 230,000 miles. We were going to Mexico. We told our staff girl back in Atlanta, eh, you could drive the car for a week, 10 days. She didn't, even, she didn't even get halfway home. The car just died. It had to get towed. It was finished. But my point is, before we get off, my point is that God can preserve the things that we possess, our homes, our possessions. This way, think about this. If he does that, if, if, if he preserves these things, then we're not taking money out of our pocket to have to, you know, repair them so that money is be able to use for other, other things, good things, God's things. Does that make sense? This isn't a fallacy, fable, or fairy tale. This is the word of the Lord. And so he spoke to the Old Testament people that way. He speaks to us about our finances this way. Um, the other thing is, guys, you know, we have to understand something. You say it, I say it, but do we believe it? Everything we have, everything we possess is God's gift to us. Well, I worked for it. Yeah, well, watch this. That was God's gift to us. That's God's grace that you could breathe. Because you don't have to live. You could drop dead. True, right? He gave us strength to work. He gave us intelligence to work. He, he gave us jobs. He gave us dreams. He gave, everything we have, every bit of clothing, our homes, our possessions, all belong to the Lord. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, Watch the next person that you know drop dead and see if they take anything into the, into the grave with them. God owns everything, folks. We say it. It's very Christian to say it, but do we believe it? He owns our very existence. Why? Not because we, why? Well, because we gave it to him. When we said, Lord, I surrender my, we say all these Christian things. Lord, I surrender my life to you. That means I surrendered my life to you. You are now the Lord of my life. I am no longer living my life my way because I'm not the Lord of my life. I've lived that way and I almost destroyed my life. But Lord, I surrender to you. All I am, all I have, it's yours. Gabish, right? Do we believe that? I hope so because it's true if we believe it or not. So um, let's see. Uh, the storehouses, we said that. Uh, we said what they were used for. And, uh, okay, so uh, today our tithes and offerings would be considered money. And that's interesting because he said not only the tenth, the first tenth, the first fruits, but I need an offering. He needs an offering. See, we're so self-consumed. 
that we forget that there's so many people around us that need things. And because we have nothing to give, we can't help. So the question is, is tithing for us under grace or just for the Old Testament Jews? Now, I want you to know that tithing was introduced even before the law came into existence. Okay, so go with me to, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 14. Tithing came into existence before the law even existed. Genesis 14. Genesis 14, 18. Okay, so 14, 18 of Genesis. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, then Melchizedek, verse 18, 14, 18, king of Salem uh, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This was before the law. So let's think about this. Before the law was given, Abram gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything that he had. Two, Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. King of righteousness. Um, King of, king of righteousness, king of priest of righteousness, and he was from Salem, and Salem is short in Hebrew for peace. So according to the scriptures, Melchizedek was a king and priest of righteousness and peace. No one knew where he came from. No one knew where he was going. This incident was before the law, and it indicates that Abram, now listen, this indicates that Abram may have given his tithe to a pre-incarnate or a type of Jesus Christ. When Abram gave Melchizedek the tithe of everything, it could indicate to us that Abram may have given this tithe to a pre-incarnate or a type of Christ. So in essence, by doing that, Abram was giving a tithe of everything he had to the God Most High through his tithe to Melchizedek. Does that make sense? So because he gave the tithe to Melchizedek, he was really giving through Melchizedek the tithe of everything he had to the Lord God Most High. Let that sink in for a minute. Nobody, nobody told this just, no, there was no law to tell him to do this. Now let's, let's, uh, let's see what Jesus said in, in Matthew 23. I'm gonna read out of Matthew 23, starting in verse 23. And uh, he's speaking uh, he's actually rebuking the uh, Pharisees. And so in Matthew uh, 23, 23, it says this. And this is Jesus speaking about tithing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Listen, you should have you should have practiced the latter without, without neglecting the former, you blind guides. So what, what is he saying? He, he's, he's saying, you know, that uh, uh, you should have mercy, justice, and faithfulness, but you should still tithe. Jesus never did away with the tithe. It, it, it gets better from here. It gets better from here. But, you know, you may say, but, you know, we, we still we live under, under grace and not under law. Okay, so 
So what I want to do is um, I wrote a blog, and I'm going to, I hardly do this, but I am going to do it tonight. This way I didn't have to rewrite my notes. And so here we go. I'm going to read to you. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, so is the tithe for today, or did it only apply to Old Testament Jews? We read Malachi 6, I am the Lord and I change not. Listen, common sense, some reasoning. If God did not change, then when did his law change? Well, we live on the grace, not the law. Think about it. Can we say that, that because murder was forbidden under the law, that it's now acceptable under grace? Could we? Is it acceptable under grace? How about adultery? If it was forbidden under the law, is it now acceptable under grace? I asked my wife last week. I said, honey, you think I can have an affair? And she said, no. And so she said, we live under grace, but still adultery is wrong, so you can't do that. So... There's that I got to deal with, right? So praise the Lord. Um, and my wife did say, she said, nope. And of course she was right. Why is she right? Because Jesus said, listen, why is my wife right? Well, because Jesus said, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder. And if you, and if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Matthew 5, verse 22 and 28. Jesus says, do you think, in, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, he says, do you think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets? I did not come to destroy, but I came to fulfill them. Grace is not an excuse to disobey the law. Rather, because we are now the children of God, we desire to live a holy and pleasing life unto Jesus, which results in naturally wanting to live and obey God's law. The law was never abolished. The law was fulfilled. But I, I want to really go follow my notes. But because the law was fulfilled and we belong to the Lord, living by grace, we're not only to live out God's law, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1-8, the, the deutimus of God, the adoption spirit, God's spirit in us, by the power of the Holy Spirit and our love for Jesus, John 14-15, John 14-21, if you love me, you obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Because of these things, we live, uh, we, our standards are above the law. See, when Jesus fulfilled the law, he didn't make the law any less. He fulfilled the law. But now as we read the scripture, we can see that he is saying, but now not only will you fulfill the law because I'm in you and, and you will desire to please me and love me and obey me, but I'm going to make, make your standard even higher than the law. How do I know that? Well, because Jesus said in, in the uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount, what did he say? Jesus speaking, Sermon on the Mount, I'm kind of paraphrasing. The law says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, if your enemy slaps you on your cheek, turn your other cheek. Turn, turn, turn to him your other cheek. If he, if he takes your shirt, give him your coat. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. See, the standard of living under grace goes further than the, than, than the standards of the law. 
I'm going to say it again. See, the standards of living under grace goes further than the standards of living under the law. Because the law has been fulfilled in you by Christ. The Spirit of God lives in us. And we love Jesus Christ. Because we love him, listen, I love my wife, and uh, even in my imperfection, but I love her, and I want to know what pleases her because I love her. And I want to do the things that make her heart happy. And we love God, and we understand this law. No, murder's wrong, adultery's wrong, robbing's wrong, backbiting's wrong, gossiping, all these things are wrong. It shouldn't be like a pressure. We don't live uh, by the law because we have to earn God's love like a legalist. We're not legalists, but we obey God's law because God's law never changed. And because it never changed and Christ lives in us, We are able to naturally fulfill the law because of our love for God, learning the word of God. Romans 12, 1, 2, 3, remembering to renew our mind according to the word of God so we will know what is God's pleasing, good, and perfect will for our lives. There's no excuse. God's law never changed. So you'll say to me, well, Michael, that's God's. That would be God's moral law. God's moral law never changed. Okay, well, how about this? Let's see. Uh, no, his, his natural, his uh, moral law never changed. So let's, read the fir- let's reason further together. Did God's natural law ever change? Did God's natural laws ever change? Whether people lived under, under the Old Testament or in the New Testament? Let's think about it for a minute. Let's take the law of gravity. Now, I'm pretty sure gravity was set in motion when God spoke into the world and made made the globe. I'm sure gravity was there at the beginning. And I'm pretty sure that if I decide I want to test gravity and I want to jump off the top of my house and believe I'm going to float, I'm going to smash into the sidewalk and I'm going to probably kill myself. Why? Because the natural law of God never changed. How about Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. If you put an apple seed in the dirt, you're pretty much probably going to get an apple tree. Now, when you get an apple tree, you're going to get a bunch of seeds. And you're going to plant those seeds, and you're going to get a greater harvest. That's called reaping, sowing, and reaping. That's never changed. There is a night, and there is a day. That never changed. There are different seasons of of, uh, time throughout the year. God's law never changed. His moral law didn't change. His natural law didn't change. So why did his laws on money change? I don't know. Why did the, the law of money change? So let's, let's see this. Uh, uh, God's natural law didn't change. God's moral law didn't change. And God's laws of money never changed. Finally, God's laws of money never changed either. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. Not the leftovers, not the scraps. God's not a dog. With the first fruits, honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of all of your crops, or for us, all of our finances. Then, when you do this, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will will brim over with new wine. That's God's law of money. 
It requires, from my point of view, you got to decide for yourself, because I'm going to tell you a couple of stories in my conclusion, but God requires a tenth and lets you have and me have 90% of everything else. But if I give him what he requires, the first fruits, the, the tenth, the tithe, and I honor him with my wealth, then the promise of God is that my barns will be filled to overflowing. That's will brim over with new wine. I will have what all I need in abundance, and I will have more than I need so that I can care for other people. This is the word of the Lord. If you read it differently, that's okay. I'm just reading it, telling you how I see it. How about this? A lot of people will use this next scripture to say, well, this is where it says that there's no tithing. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And it's a natural law. It's a law of finance. If I put one seed in the ground, I get maybe one plant. If I give a little, I can't expect to receive anything back. And listen, to whom much is given, there is much required. So if you've been given much, you're required much to take care of it properly. Now, he goes on to say in the scripture, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also uh, reap sparingly. Each of you should give what you decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, why does he want to bless you abundantly? So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Why does God want to bless you abundantly? Not so you can be a consumer and can have everything that you want. Not that God doesn't want to bless you, but you got to put the cart before the horse. But he wants to give us all that we need so that uh, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. He wants us to abound in good works with our fruitfulness, with our finances. We're so stingy. We hold so tightly to our money. And a lot of Christian people, if this is you, I don't mean to offend you, but if it offends you, then say ouch. The point is, is that we avoid tithing because we just don't want to believe it's God's way. You will have to rip apart your Bible to make that be true. So it goes on to say, uh, they will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. So what do they do with their gifts? Their abundance? They scatter the gifts to the poor, to those who needed something, who those that were in need. That's why they were blessed because of their generosity so they could be generous again and to meet the needs and help the people's needs that needed help. Um, let's see. He gives to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply, listen, will also supply and increase your store of seed or our finances and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness, your good works, with your abundance, your life of righteousness will expand with good works because of your giving. How do I know that? Listen to the rest of this. Um, let's see. Let's store, uh, it will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way 
so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So your generosity, my generosity, my, my giving, meeting other people's needs, supplying for other people, what does it do? It results in thanksgiving and praise to God. Have you ever had a need and someone met your need? After you said thank you to the person, if you're a Christian, what's the very next thing you would say? Thank you, Lord Jesus. After my Prius went 220,000 miles again without any major repairs, it needed a major repair. It's like $4,500 repair. So I just put out, you know, to a couple of churches that support Terrell and I and just prayed about it. And they gave me money to fix the car. They gave me money for a new refrigerator. And they gave me $19,000 to take care of my wife's dental problems. And what did we say? Every day, still to this day, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank Because we know it was God touching hearts and, and touching people that released these finances so that our needs may be met. But I'll tell you right now, um, I don't mean this in any way but braggadocious, but you know, Terrell and I are tithers plus and givers plus. And we live on gifts and offerings. And I'm going to tell you why at the end of this, why that happened at the end of this teaching, which is coming to its close. But your giving will result in thanksgiving to God. This scripture doesn't say anything about giving the tithe, the 10%. That's true. But I don't, I don't think it's saying you should give less than the tithe. I think it's saying you should give more than the tithe. It's, it's above the tithe. Have everything you need so that you can help others and give to others that are in need. So I don't think it's saying don't tithe. I think it's saying, and from my point of view, this is outside the tithe. This is your generosity. This is your giving. This is your compulsion to give out of love, to care for people. So I think there's the tithe, and the Bible says, and the offering. And you know what? There's one more thing, too, in the Bible. There's the gift. So, you know, now you're thinking, if I give 10, and then I give the tithe, I give the offering, I give the gift, what's left for me? Abundance, because God said so. That's what it is. Okay, let's see. Um, I'm going to read a few scriptures, and now I'm going to tell you two stories, and I'm going to end because you really can't, I can't get, we're going to probably do a seminar on giving and tithing and finance in the future. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a financial, Christian financial coach certified, and I want to give that, that class because I think it's very necessary. Um, let's see. So let's read some scriptures, okay? More, more giving scriptures. Proverbs 22.9. A generous man or a generous woman will himself or herself be blessed. Proverbs 22.9. A generous man or a generous woman will themselves be blessed. That's the word of the Lord. Proverbs 11.23 through 25. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. Verse 24, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. You get, you get in the picture here? 25, a generous man will prosper. A generous woman will prosper. And he or she who refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. This is the word of the Lord. 
Now, unfortunately, it works in the negative as well. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, I don't need you to raise your hand. I don't want you to shake your head. But listen to this again. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. Don't shake your head. Don't do nothing. I'm just going to ask you, are you in consumer debt? Are you paying more percentage to your credit card at your bank than you're able to give to the Lord? You got to really think of this stuff, folks. Are you? Because if you are, you're a slave to the bank. You work to pay the bank and make the banker rich. That's what the Bible says. And there's so many ways to get out of debt. And there's so many ways to get your, your, your debt in control. And there's so many ways to get free, debt-free. I know because I'm debt-free. So let me tell you a couple of stories, and we'll close. It was October of 1995, and uh, we had just gone into the mission field, um, went into the mission field, and it was one of those times where we had enough money, and this may have happened to you, we had enough money to pay literally the electric bill or give God his tithe. I chose to pay my electric bill. Now, my money comes in the mailbox. My kids used to laugh. They say, Daddy, you don't work. You just go to the mailbox and get money. <laughs> Thanks, kids. They still tell me that. They're adults. They're in their 30s. Are you still going to the mailbox and getting money? Yes, but I work. I work. We work. In any case, um, I, I chose not to uh, give God what he required. I paid the electric bill, and there was no money showing up in the mailbox. So we, we go to this meeting, this YWAM meeting. It's a Monday morning, and we walk into the, into the uh, meeting, and there's this young girl, Anita. She's about, at that time, 23 maybe, and she is crying on her knees. And she's crying and saying, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for robbing you, Lord. Please forgive me. Forgive me. Oh, Lord, I haven't tithed. I've robbed you. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God hits me. I start to cry. I get on my knees. I start repenting. Lord, forgive me. Lord Jesus, I'm so sorry, so sorry. I will never from this day forward. Better watch what you say, by the way. Uh, I will never from this day forward ever not tithe. I'm so sorry. Well, the next week I got a check for $1,200. And then I had a friend, Greg, who sent me a card and a check for $250. And Greg said, I don't think the Lord told me to give you this. I'm just sending this to you because, you know, you're probably poor anyway. So I'm like, I don't care. You can call me poor. Just keep sending money. <laughs> what do I care? But in one week, we got $1,450. Now, from that day on, I have always tithed. And I have learned, and we're going to see what tithing does in, in a minute, why it's so important besides what we've already talked about, what are the benefits of, of tithing and obeying the Lord? But then there was another time. We had moved to Maryland. We were planting a new YWAM work in Maryland. And um, we lived in an apartment. No, we lived in a temporary house for a few months. And uh, I went out to ministry, and I said to Terrell, honey, please, you know, take the kids. They were homeschooled. Take the kids and go find an apartment where we can live. 
So I come home from my, my ministry, and, and Terrell says, oh, we, we, we were driving down the street. It was a private street, and there was a sign outside for sale by owner. I said, what are you talking about? There was a sale for sale by owner, and there was these two girls outside. They were homeschooled, and I asked if they would go get their mother. And the mother came out, and then the mother brought me in the house, and the mother walked me through the house. And can we go see the house tonight? Because they're selling the house. The husband's moving to Colorado. They got to move for his job. I'm like, Terrell, I don't have two nickels to rub together. But I told you to go find an apartment. So, of course, I said, I'll go. So we went, and what true as could be, Walked in the house, you knocked on the door, the guy came to the door, and I shook his hand, and I said, and I said, hi, my name's Mike Esposito, I'm a missionary, I have no money, but can I see your house? <laughs> and and he, he let us see the house, it took about 15 minutes, it was a nice, quaint house, a little property, whatever, and then we left. We find an apartment, because, Terrell, I don't have no money, I can't make a deal with these people. And the lady Karen kept calling Terrell after we moved into the apartment. Terrell, if you have just $15,000, we'll work it out. We'll, 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 you know, we'll, we'll take uh, monthly money and we'll take some of that for your down payment. You can rent with an option to buy. And so Terrell's all excited. Oh, Mike, we could give them $15,000 and then rent with an option to buy. And I said the same thing to my wife. We don't have 15 cents. It's thank you, but no thank you. And I'm telling you right now, this lady called every couple of weeks with a new deal. One day, she got down to $2,500. She said, she's a true story. She said, if you have $2,500, you can move into the house and then we'll work out the payment for the rent with an option to buy. And I looked at Terrell and said, Terrell, tell her thank you. No, thank you. We don't have $2,500. And my wife was so sad. Months go by, we don't hear from Karen anymore. Uh, this is how it happened. And so now they want us to renew the, the lease on the apartment like 10 months in. And Terrell says to me, do you have Karen's number? And I'm like, no, I don't have Karen's number. I threw it out. That week, Karen called. She said, the day that you came over, by the way, they were Christians. The day that you came over and you walked through the house with your daughters and you left, I knew in my heart that that house belonged to you. We have a bidding war right now going on for the house. It's at 170. This was back 2001, two. There's a bidding war at 170. But if you want the house, this is what we're going to do. We're going to send you the keys. You just move into the house because God said this is your house. And then figure out, then we'll figure out what the, what the rent uh, lease option will be. And said, by the way, we're going to sell it to you for 155000 So Terrell comes and tells me that. And I look at my wife and I say, deal. Take the deal. Take the keys. <laughs> I did. I said, take the keys. So they did. They mailed us the keys. We moved into the house. Three months, didn't pay a penny. Now, you know, I'm getting nervous because I want to pay a penny. I, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. Like, if I don't give you nothing, you can just take it back. So after three months, we made a deal. Now, you got to remember, I was making about $23,000 a year I was, I was taking in in offerings. We had no provable income. It was all 1099. And so they said, we'll lease with the option to buy until you get a mortgage. And I'm thinking, we'll be leasing with an option to buy until I drop dead. <laughs> we got a mortgage. No provable income, making $23,000 a year. 
moved into that house. Eight years later, sold it for $310,000. That gave us the money to move to, to Georgia and build our own house. That's not a, this is one, I could be here all night with you guys. We could have a campfire, I'd tell you all kinds of stories. But this is indirect, from my point of view, this is in direct correlation to my tithing and my giving, not mine only, Terrell and my tithing and giving. You cannot separate it, because I can tell you story after story after story. The way I live, I was able to send both of my girls through their trade schools, one esthetician school, and, and one went to beauty school. I was able to, Terrell and I, give them both weddings and send them on honeymoon. We were able to buy them their first car, used car, so that after college, they could, after their school, they could start to work. We set up a, a Roth IRA for them that we still pay into for them. Where did all this money come from? All this money came because we obeyed the Lord. Now, listen, I'm not saying that Jesus is a genie. You rub your Bible, he pops up, you ask him for whatever you want. That's, that's ridiculous. I am not saying that. I am saying, though, he promises to take care of our need and to bring abundance and to bless us when we're obedient to him and to his word. I am saying that tithing is no different today than it was in the Old Testament because not only do we live to fulfill the law, but we live above the law. Our standards are above the law. And we live by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and by the word of God and by the love of Jesus to fulfill the law and the greater standard. And, and you know, I'm not a name and claim it guy. But I got story after story, and maybe you do too, actually, of how God has provided for you. But if you're robbing God, you're bringing a curse on your finances. I'm sorry. That's the scripture, guys. If you're paying more for your car payment and more, more interest for your, for your stuff, and, and you can't afford the life that you live, you have a problem. And you're robbing God because you can't give God what he requires, which is one-tenth of 100%. If you give the one-tenth, he blesses the other 90%. And then you have more than the tenth. Does that make sense? This is the word of the Lord. Now, in my conclusion, I think I'm concluding. Uh, let's see. Yeah, let me read the, the last thing I wrote uh, on the blog. What are the benefits? What are the benefits of tithing? And I'm going to end with, with this, and I'll, I'll pray and give it back to Pastor. Um, what are, what are the, let's conclude this conversation by looking at the, the benefits of tithing. Number one, first of all, the tithe provides for the ministers and the salaries of the church, missionaries, organizations, and uh, it, it, it helps to provide for those that are in need. That's why God asks us to bring the tithe into the church. I'll say it again. First thing it does is uh, tithe provides for ministries, uh, ministers, ministry salaries, uh, missionaries, and, and the needs of people in the church or beyond the church. Two, when we tithe, it stretches our faith in God as our provider. T tithing is a big faith challenge. In my old church, uh, the one I left in, um, I'm still part of, but the one, when I left Georgia, the, the, the pastor and the elders, and, and they meant it. I know, I was in these meetings and I seen it. They said, God said, test me in this. They said, begin to tithe. And in three months, if God has not done something in your life financially, we're going to give you all your money back. I've been in, I've been in a room with them saying to the lady, I'll, I'll give you back your 1500 bucks. 
But there was many more stories of how God blessed and gave to people. Test me in this. Go ahead, I dare you. Jesus says. So it stretches our faith. And the other thing it does is that it destroys a selfish and a stingy spirit in our lives. It destroys that selfishness. It's mine, mine, mine. It's all about me, my, my. It destroys a selfish and a stingy spirit in our lives. And then finally, the, one of the benefits is the Lord promises to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing on our lives and our possessions. Now, my intent tonight was not to give you a very thorough teaching because we don't have that kind of time on a Saturday night. We all want to get home. But I hope I've given you enough truth and enough scripture and enough common sense and enough practical information from the Word of God that you can make up your own mind on what tithing is or isn't. If is, if, is it for now or is it not? Let's pray. I'll hand it back over to Pastor. Father, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that you care about everything in our life. You care about our possessions. You care about uh, you know, our, our money, you care about our heart, you care about our soul, you care about our bodies, you, you care about us, Lord, and, and you require very little from us, from what I can read personally out of the scripture. You provide very little for us so that you can bless the, re, the other 90% and you, and you can meet our need and give us abundant and, and abundance so that we can share and give and care for others. Father, I pray if this word is true, if what I said tonight is true, Daddy, I pray that you bless the truth to the souls of these men and women. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, if this is true, what I've said tonight, that you would water the seed of faith about finances and tithing in the hearts of these men and women, and you would bring a crop of faith so that they will be able to obey your word if this is your word, O oh God, I pray. Father, for me, I believe it. I've lived it. Everything you said has come true in my life. And I praise you and I thank you for it. And I thank you that you care about our, our money. And I think that you, the laws of finance never changed, just like the laws of morality never changed and the laws in the natural world never changed. We can believe your word. We can stand on your word. We can live your word. And you are a faithful God to bring forth and accomplish every promise that you've given us without fail. You can do abundantly above greater things than we ever could ask, imagine, or think through Jesus Christ the Lord, according to Ephesians 3.20. I believe it. I've seen it. I thank you for it. Now, Father, if people in this place need faith, then I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by your spirit, explode in their heart faith to believe you in the area of finances, Lord. I really do pray, Daddy, you would do that. You did it for me. I'm just a regular guy. I pray you do it for them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were inspired by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. For more information about The Loft or for gathering times and locations, you can check out our website at www.theloftnw.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you'll join us again next time.